Hello, I'm Mimi Libelle, founder of Vespod and author of Yonder Broke Your Pre-Rich, and you're listening to The Wallet. Every week we give you the best tips, guidance, and a good dose of inspiration and motivation to manage your money better. Is now the right time to invest? What should I be considering when investing in the stock market? How does inflation impact my investments and can I protect my investments during the downturn? Market updates can feel overwhelming and complex, but we thought it was important to the Vespot community in helping to build investing knowledge and confidence. And I'm really happy to introduce our brilliant partners for this session. Axel, who's an equity product specialist manager at Carmignac. Carmignac is an independent asset management firm established in 1989 on three core principles that still stand true today. Entrepreneurial spirit, human-driven insight, and active commitment. The role of Carmignac is to enable their clients to improve their saving needs over the long term. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. The first part of the year has been complicated because we had quite a perfect storm of shock, uh, which has led investors in, uh, in a great, great uncertainty. The kind of shock that we had is the comeback of inflation after 30 years of zero or very low inflation. We also had higher rates across the world uh, due to this higher inflation environment. We had central banks that, after years struggling to push inflation higher, have now the opposite issue. And finally, we had the war in Ukraine, which was adding to uncertainties uh, into the market. And indeed, investors have just experienced one of their worst six months in 40 years. And we have done an exercise uh, looking at four big asset classes in which investors are generally invested, meaning equity, sovereign debt, corporate debt, and in corporate debt, we can look at high quality debt and the more risky one. And for each semester, we show on the graph the best performance among the four asset classes. And what we see is that over the last 40 years, there is almost always at least one asset class that posts a positive performance. But not only during the first semester of 2022, all asset classes have been negative, but it was a no place to hide environment because it was the worst semester over the last 40 years. And if everything was down, it's not every asset class behave exactly the same because the sell-off was even more impressive for the tech sector. And before getting into the explanation of why it was worse, maybe it's worth to just take a step back, because over the last 10 years, the Nasdaq, which is usually the index that we use uh, to, to speak about tech, has been up plus 275% over the last 10 years, compared to only 28% for the FTSE 100. A company like Meta, which is a new name of Facebook, is up more than 400% over the last 10 years. So this huge performance of the tech sector has been driven by the fact that this company were able to generate robust earnings, despite the fact that we were in a poor macroeconomic growth environment, and the fact that we were in a low interest rate, a low inflation environment which was an environment also where there were a lot of liquidity to be invested, liquidity that were provided by central bank. So what happened this year to have such a strong reversal? 
And the first reason is that the tailwinds that has been pushing tech stock higher over the last year have completely switched direction, and they are now becoming headwinds. From low inflation, low interest rate, we move to higher inflation, higher interest rate. And indeed, this shift has really forced investors to rethink whether these stocks that have succeeded in an environment of low interest rate will be able to succeed in an environment of higher interest rate. And the second reason is that most of the tech company prosper a lot during the pandemic two years ago. And now that population returned to work, that we spend less time at home, the tech sector is suffering from the fact that investors fear that companies boosted by the pandemic are running out of steam. And we have good example on this slide. For instance, Peloton, which is a connected business company and which was one of the most popular company in the early days of the pandemic, is down 71%. Another pandemic darling, which is Netflix, so also its share dropped approximately the same as Peloton. So, the big question that we read a lot about is, are we back in a dot-com bubble like it was the case in 2000? No, we definitely don't think that it's a dot-com bubble 2.0. It's just a massive overcorrection due to the fact that we are in a different rate environment and that we need some normalization post the COVID euphoria. So, now that we have looked at what happened, it will become more interesting to look at what is ahead of us. And in order to understand what could happen on financial market, we need first to have a view on where do we stand in terms of macroeconomic outlook. And we will look region by region, what is the economic outlook, but I will tend to spend a bit more time on the US macro because it's really the barometer for market operator and it's the US that influence the whole global macroeconomy. So today, the primary concern for household, company, governments, central bank is inflation. Because inflation is the loss of purchasing power over time. And indeed, it's a fair concern because I guess that most of us today never experience an inflationary episode. So it's particularly new for all of us. And where does it come from? And why we had such a reversal of the 30 last year trends? The first reason is the COVID because it has caused factories to shut down. It has blocked shipping routes, which have limiting the supply in many products like for instance, semiconductor, cars, etc. And it has been pushing price higher and higher. So all these effects were really in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. But on the top of this pressure, we had food and energy costs that has been surging, really following the recent invasion of Ukraine. But all these factors are supposed to fuel inflation on a temporary basis. And the issue is that market operator, government, central bank were expecting this inflation to be very short term and that it will peak around April or May 2022. And it, not, it has not been the case at all. We are today in the US at 8.6% inflation of our year. And indeed, it's because there were several factors that has been amplifying these short-term factors. And the most important one is wages, because in the US today, we have a very stretched job market. 
unemployment is only at 3.8%. And there is an interesting statistic that says that we have two open job jobs for every, every unemployed American, which is giving actually a huge power to workers in pay negotiation, leading to a strong wage growth. And the issue is that when workers receive a wage price, they tend to demand more goods, more services. And this in turn causes prices to rise again, created really a wage price spiral. Therefore, the US consumer is contributing to this inflation. And the fact that this wage price spiral is having strong effect on companies because it's creating some margin squeeze. This margin squeeze is really creating a real recession risk for corporate. Because indeed, company, company margins are now taking a bite. And they are starting to derail from their growth trajectory. And we have, over the last weeks, Lot of profit expectation downgrade from company. We had Walmart, we had Snapchat, we had Made.com, and more recently uh, we have on the industrial sector a company named Kinspan, which is an Irish building material group. But we had also the well-known Amazon that say that they may have during the COVID overextending their warehouse space. We also have the Uber CEO that warned of tougher time to come. So. Really, we have companies that are starting to send warning because they are facing um, difficulties to contain costs, especially transport costs and rising labor costs. And therefore, we might see in the coming months, corporate America uh, go into recession but, or at least strong slowdown uh, at some point in the coming, uh, in the coming months. But Despite the risk of having a lower economic growth in the US due to the slowdown of both corporate and at some point consumer also that are suffering from higher prices, we have the US central bank that is maneuvering in order to reverse really the overheating that we have in the labor market and in order to force demand to adjust downward in order to fight inflation. Why they want to fight inflation? Because the Federal Reserve, which is the US central bank, has a dual mandate. The mandate is to pursue the economic goal of price stability and maximum employment at the same time. Therefore, to reach this goal, what they are doing is that they are targeting an inflation rate around 2% over the long term. Because indeed, a little bit of inflation is generally viewed as quite desirable because it gives company room in order to adjust when you have a changing economy. One, for instance, where labor or commodity might cost more, it will allow uh, companies to raise prices in order to avoid being forced, to, uh, to, uh, being forced out of business. However, the issue is that currently we have seen it, inflation has been accelerating way too quickly. Uh, in order to reach 8.6%, which is leading to this very negative wage price spiral that I mentioned earlier. So this situation has prompted the Federal Reserve to act very quickly in order to stop this very negative wage price spiral. And they might do so at the detriment of, at some point, employment and financial asset stability like equity, bonds, and real estate. And 
the issue is that markets are really often very focused on the action of the Federal Reserve because, because it is the most powerful financial institution in the world. But we will see it. other central banks like the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, have similar mandates and tools at their disposal in order to preserve financial and price stability. So, to achieve their mandate, the Reserve Federal and all other central banks have several tools at their disposal. And the most well-known one is what we call the Fed Fund Rate. And you can see on the chart that the Fed Fund Rate has been increased from 0.25% to 1.75% in less than three months. And it is the most rapid increase since 1994. And it may, it may reach at least 3% at, le at the end of the year. So it's huge what is happening. And such a rise will have an effect of slowing down the economy at the cost of, because the cost of loans will grow higher. So consumer business will borrow less. And so therefore, the, the economy will cool down. But it will also have an effect on financial markets. It will push, and it's already the case, it will push equity and fixed income market lower. But apart from rates, the Federal Reserve is also using its balance sheet in order to accomplish those goals. For example, the Fed has dramatically expanded its balance sheet, which we call the quantitative easing. You may have heard of it in order to use the balance sheet really uh, in case of extreme emergency, like for the economic shock of 20 of the global financial crisis in 2008, or for the COVID-19 pandemic. And what the Federal Reserve is doing is that we have a complete reversal since the 1st of June because they have starting to shrink their balance sheet. We still the same idea of cooling down the economy in order to get a lower inflation. So once again, this will have a significant impact on the financial market, but they want to reduce inflation. So I have spent a lot of time on the US, uh, but you will see that the European situation is quite similar, except by the fact that it is worse. Because in Europe, we have the same inflation issues than, uh, than in the US. We have new records, 8.6% um, over a year in uh, the Eurozone. We have 9.1% in the UK. And we should still have very high level of inflation, at least until the autumn. So the issue in Europe is that the income shock is much bigger for both household and company in the Eurozone. Because what we see in the graph is that the real wages, so meaning the wages less inflation, are dropping by more than 6% in the euro area. Because the issue is that there were no wage increases like there were in the US or even in the UK. And so profit margin are also much more squeezed due to supply disruption and commodity prices but also due to the fact that we have some demand destruction linked to what I've just mentioned, the real income squeeze. So we might move in Europe in what we call the stagflation, meaning slow growth and even a recession will still very high inflation. And the stagflation is really putting a lot of pressure on the European Central Bank, like it is for the, reserve, for the Federal Reserve, but 
ECB must deal with the fact that we have a huge difference in economic trajectory between the 27 member states. So adding a challenge on the challenge, you know. And finally, after Europe, after US, where we have quite a gloomy outlook, uh, we might have a bright spot coming from China because the country has already suffered a lot from uh, lower economic growth, mostly due to the fact that they have some very, very strict lockdown measure, especially this year, which has been hurting economic growth and global supply chain across the world. Because the government in China has decided to put in place what they call a zero COVID policy, which is really an attempt to prevent any community spread of the, of the coronavirus. And Due to the fact that this lockdown have hurt growth, the government, the government, the Chinese government really came to the rescue of economic growth by doing exactly the opposite of what Western countries have done, meaning monetary stimulus and fiscal stimulus. So they have been cutting tax for businesses, for households, and they have been also cutting their main benchmark interest rate. So exactly the opposite of the, of the Fed in order to support uh, credit across housing and companies. And what investors are looking uh, in China is really the credit impulse that you can see on the chart, which is an indicator of the cycle because most of the economic actors in China are really depending on credit for investment. And you know that when we have strong investment, it is driving up employment and demand for import and industrial goods and commodities. So it's good news for growth. So what to keep in mind about this complex economic outlook, just in a few words uh, before maybe taking your question, is we have stagflation in sight, which really puts central bank in a very tricky situation. With the Federal Reserve might, where the Federal Reserve might sacrifice growth in order to fight inflation. But for European Central Bank, it's becoming much more complicated due to the fact that we have very various situation in Europe. But in any case, this situation is really challenging for financial assets, and I will detail the impact in the next part. But the bright spot might be China because we have monetary and fiscal policies that are completely at odds with the rest of the world. Thank you so much, Axel. Um... I think I'm gonna. That, that, I mean, that's for me. That's you know fascinating to understand before we really dive in, like the stock market, like what's what's happening um, at the macro level. I have a question. You talked about stagflation. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the potential uh, consequences, please? Yeah, I think that stagflation is a nightmare for everyone, governments, central banks, uh, and for us also at some point. The most well-known stagflation period is, uh, is uh, 1974, so it was a long time ago, where we had 12% of inflation uh, in the US and where the, the central bank need to raise rates at above 10%, so it was huge. But the issue is that stagflation is eroding purchasing power of a household and it's creating a profit margin squeeze. So that's why it is very important for central bank to avoid that all our Western economy are falling into this stagflation trap because you have inflation, but you have growth that is uh, going down. So you have higher employment, unemployment, 
um, you have less uh, earnings for company. So it's really a, a nightmare. All the central bank are really under pressure is that we don't want a recession, but we don't want long-term persistent inflation. So really, the challenge of the central banks today is to negotiate a soft landing of the economy in the face of this huge risk. And only time will tell, but the probability that the European and the US economy settle into an extended period of stagflation might have rise significantly because the challenge is, uh, is really huge. Thank you, Axel. Um, you talked in your one of your last slides about the credit impulse. Um, that may be something that's a bit tricky for people to understand. <laughs> you could clarify. Definitely. So the credit impulse is what I was saying, is really linked to China. It's something that we mentioned uh, most exclusively for China and that all the market operators are looking for China because it's really the barometer of, okay, is China uh, in a good place right now in terms of growth? Um, because the, the Chinese economy is really relying on credit, uh, credit, credit for household and for companies. And it's highly important for housing sectors that uh, account for 25% of the Chinese GDP, but also for, uh, for all the, the business investment. So it has at the end an effect on employment in China uh, and on future growth. And uh, I mean, I see a lot of questions. Maybe I have another one. Like when we, you talked about the US, you, we look at saving, we look at net worth, I mean, all high. That should be good news. <laughs> so so why, why is it not actually? Yeah, uh, in fact, uh, it's, uh, it's a real challenge because we have in the US at least a, a, co a consumer uh, that is quite healthy. Uh, and the issue is that this healthy consumer is contributing to the inflation because what happened is that in the US, the consumer has built up big savings uh, across the years thanks to the month in slowdown and to the fact that the consumer received a lot of government stimulus check. Um, and so therefore what they are doing is that as they have high level of savings, they are spending a lot and their demand is driving part of the inflation. However, The issue is that even if they have a lot of savings, they have high, uh, uh, high level of, of net worth and a strength of uh, a strong labor market, the US consumer is navigating in an inflationary environment. Uh, so what we are seeing over the last week is that Americans are really starting to say that they start to lose confidence in the economy because with higher interest rate and the fact that at some point, The, slowing, the saving rate is decreasing. Everything is really taking a toll on family budgets. So we might see consumption, even if it's still healthy, slowing down uh, in, the coming, in the coming months. But it should be more what we call a soft lending rather than just a hard lending of the US consumer. I have a question from Amandine asking, what can central banks do to fight stagflation? You mentioned some negotiations. So that's... They have tools at their disposal, like I was mentioning. And the ones that they are using the most is rising rates. And so they are rising rates super aggressively, like they have done, never, they have done uh, not in the last 40 years, something like this. Uh, and that's the main tool at their disposal. And they will do so until inflation is peaking. And they are starting to see that, okay, 
demand is slowing down, um, employment market is slowing down, and start and price are starting to slow down. The issue is that for the Fed is easier than for the European Central Bank or for the Bank of England because. For European countries, a lot of this inflation is what we call imported inflation, meaning that that's inflation that are due to the conflicts that we have between Russia and Ukraine, uh, the supply chain disruptions that we have from the China due to the zero COVID policy. And so things on which the central bank don't really have uh, uh, the possibility to act on. So their challenge is even bigger than for the US where it's clearly due to the employment market. Thank you, Excel. Um, maybe we can continue to the you know, second part, which is more like the outlook and we'll look at, at the questions because I think you're gonna answer a lot of these in your, in your next um, Definitely, slides. because we need now to understand what could be the implication for, for financial market. Since the beginning of the year, what has happened? Investor has been focusing on inflation concern that have led the second factor in your screen, meaning valuation, to go lower and therefore pushing equity market even lower. So even if we have not seen any material earning downgrade yet, many um, actors in the market are fearing that a decline in earnings will provide a next leg down for equity market. And that's why we are focusing on companies that can just uh, resist in this environment. Because so we have a complicated environment where the really we are looking to companies to that will be able to survive, basically. <laughs> because first, what we are looking is that for the coming months, we will like companies that are able to survive the stagflation environment that I mentioned and the fact that we will have less support from central banks, which means avoiding sectors that are highly sensitive to the cycle or sectors that have, tend to have high level of debt because they will suffer from higher rates at some point. So sectors like industrial materials should be more in danger in the future environment. And even banks could be challenged due to the action of central bank because central bank will worsen credit condition, which could wait on the earning outlook of the bank. But as growth is also slowing down and inflation is here to stay, it will be important to find sectors and companies that are able to offer resilient growth and pricing power, meaning companies able to pass on cost increase through price increases, but without impacting demand in order to overall maintain the margin. So in other words, essential sector. And I think a good example is the, is the healthcare sector or some other segment of consumption, of consumption that I, I will detail later. And finally, as an investor, you should always have a long-term investment horizon in mind. And therefore, even if some tech valuation, some tech companies have been highly challenged here to date, they could still offer uh, some of the best long-term prospects. And once again, I will come back uh, on that uh, shortly. So first, looking at recession-proof assets. And on that front, I think consumer staples are a good example. Because yes, they may face downward earning revision, but at least le less than the rest of the market. 
But even within consumer staples, you should be very careful about several factors because some of the staples are quite sensitive to the cycle. For instance, the beauty segment tend to be quite cyclical. So you will avoid, for instance, the beauty segment. And also within the staples, you have segments that are highly sensitive to private labels. Uh, and as consumers tend to look for cheapest products in a period of low growth, high inflation, you won't avoid comp direct competition from private labels. And so overall, in this context, I think the most immune segment, for instance, in the staples will be it's basic, but to space, because crises are not crises. People should keep brushing their teeth. At least I hope that. But you will have also things like pet food, child food that are really immune to private label, or also one thing that is uh, tend to behave well in a stagflation environment is alcohol, which is surprising or not, <laughs> sad or not, but but still it tend to perform well uh, in this kind of environment. So you have some segments that, okay, can just do well, short term, medium term. And there is all, not only sectors that could resist in the environment. It might be also some countries that will behave better than the rest of the market. And in the macro, I have mentioned how China is at odds with the rest of the world from a monetary and fiscal point of view. So after a tough year of Chinese equity, because over over the last year, the performance of Chinese equity has been very poor. We might see some inflation, uh, some inflection uh, of outperformance of Chinese equity. And even beyond this short-term factor for Chinese equity, we might look at medium and long-term factors that are highly supported factor because China is really pressing ahead with reform and it could become a financial and technological powerhouse in less than a decade. Indeed, the country is already becoming more digital, more urban, more innovative, and more focused on sustainability than most of the developed country. As you can see, for instance, on the slide with the mobile payment user. And also what is interesting is China has some of the world's most dynamic companies, especially, especially in sectors like, I don't know, e-commerce, consumption, green transition, but also semiconductor or healthcare. So there is plenty of opportunity in China, especially if China is just doing better in terms of growth. However, in China, more than anywhere else, selectivity will remain key in order to avoid really future accidents. So be careful with China. <laughs> we spoke about things that could work short term, and there is also a lot of things that could work well on medium and long term. And I think that one of the big challenge will be energy. Because if, okay, demand for commodities can weaken over the short term due to the fact that we might go into recession, there is still a lot of supply constraints that are exacerbated by the energy crisis that we are currently experiencing in Europe. Because yes, the old continent will need to invest in order to be independent from Russia and to be more independent as a whole. Uh, but also being forced to get rid of the Russian energy, what the European Commission has done is to quickly set up a plan named Repower EU. 
uh, with the objective of first reducing Russian gas export, uh, gas import for the years, but also having a huge acceleration in the development of renewable energy. And so once again, with this Repower EU plan, it's highlighting the fact that we need to find other sources of decarbonized energy. So in terms of investment opportunity, it means a lot of investment opportunity because all of this will support first large energy company, at least over the near term, uh, because we will need to have still oil for the coming uh, months, years, before having uh, a bigger energy transition. And over the medium and long term, we should see definitely some renewable company like in solar, in wind, etc., taking market share away from traditional uh, energy company. So we have short term, medium term, and we have long term. And yes, I mentioned it at the beginning. On the tech sector, we had a lot of short-term market movement. But this should not overshadow the new, the very numerous long-term opportunity on which investors should capitalize on. And there are in the market currently some major trends that could, could generate significant return over the long term. And maybe one quickly is cloud migration. Cloud migration today, we are still very early. Only 10% of the enterprise IT spending has shifted to the cloud so far. And one good sign that it might be a promising market is that all the biggest tech companies have well understood the potential and have very well placed to benefit from this trend. As you can see on the slide, Alphabet, Amazon, and Microsoft are generating double-digit growth number on the cloud business. But another interesting um, opportunity long-term in the digitalization is cybersecurity, because organizations have faced new security challenge as we have the cloud and we have remote, remote working. Um, and the result is that we have a massive increase today in the number of cyber attacks. And the issue is that despite the huge economic impact of um, cyber attack, yet company and government continue to underinvest. So it should change in the coming years and it should support companies that are selling some cybersecurity uh, solutions. So maybe to, to wrap up before answering your many questions. Uh, <laughs> yes, today the market is down for the last, so the first six months, but it's because equity have suffered from the rising rate environment. Going forward, unfortunately, we might have another leg down due to the adjustment of earnings to the economic outlook that I've described. So in consequence, investment should be more focused on companies characterized by high and stable margin, by solid growth prospects, mostly in defensive sector, like I have mentioned, construction, healthcare, etc. But investors should also take the opportunity of strong market cohesion in order to start building position on some long-term conviction, because indeed, every crisis comes with opportunity, and that's very important. And the setup that today we have in the market has been quite indiscriminated. All the companies were down. And so therefore, there are some anomalies that are 
starting to appear in the market. And it's maybe anecdotal, but I think it's quite telling. The fact that, okay, today, Coca-Cola is more expensive than Google. So investors seems to be saying that the companies that sell a beverage full of sugar should offer more growth in the coming years than uh, the company that literally owns the internet and that is working on self-driving car among hundreds of other projects. So all this to say that, okay, financial market might be scary at the moment, but we should never lose sight on the fact that crises often turn into opportunity for anyone that is rigorous and active investor. And that equities remain the best source of performance over the long term. And so one last chart, because I think it's important for, for all of us. Yes, equity is the best investment if you invest over the long term. Because if you look at the left, as a chart on the left, there is no debate. Over the last 20 years, investing in global equity has been the best way to generate return, even if it's more risky. So you need to diversify your saving across asset classes, across companies, across sectors, across country. And you need to keep a long-term investment horizon because when you have a drawdown like we just experienced, the main risk is to sell at the worst moment. And as you can see on the right, if you had missed just the last, just the 10 best days over the last 20 years, it makes a huge difference in terms of how much you will earn at the end. And unfortunately, these best days tend to be very close to big sell-off. So people selling at the bad moment tend to miss them. And I think that the last rule is, okay, you need to be active, you need to be patient, and you need to be maybe supported by asset management expert because it's a highly complicated environment, so it could be very helpful. Thank you so much, Axel. You actually answered uh, Poliana question, Poliana's question, and I think we had actually a lot of this question in the Vespod community over the past few weeks. People who started investing, you know, over, over the past two years, over the past year, and now looking at their investment portfolios and they're getting quite stressed. So it's what what do we do from there? Do we stop everything? And actually, you answered really well the question that you know, let's look at the at the long term. Let's review our portfolio. Make sure you have some 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 cash savings, um, and that's you know, you, you should be fine. I mean, it's really it's really like the you know long term investment. I I had a question because. I'm in the UK. Most of the community is going to be based in the UK. And we had really big news this morning that Boris Johnson um, will, will resign. This is going to have an impact. I mean, any you know political instability, and we've seen that sort of priced in the market. But can you explain a little bit the impact that has on the economy, the currency, and maybe what we should be expecting uh, over, the, over the next coming month? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so it's it's very hot news <laughs> from this morning, but shaky politics, ne negative GDP prints, double-digit inflation. I think that just the UK is the poster child of what is happening in the world, unfortunately. So yeah, Boris Johnson will leave a, a nation mirrored in political and economic uncertainty because the UK, like any other countries, is confronting surging, surging inflation, potential recession, and uh, also uh, the risk of, um, of, uh, of lower uh, earnings profit for companies. But whoever will replace him will inherit this economy where the cost of living is just 
decreasing and where inflation is uh, at the highest level for the last uh, 40 years. So what is happening is that today, it's not really politicians are, at, uh, <laughs> are acting, it's central bank. And the Bank of England, like any other central bank, need to act very quickly because we have seen in the UK, but it's the case also across Europe, uh, unrest among workers that are already formatting uh, due to this higher inflation. And so the Bank of England is acting. They have raised rates five times already uh, since the beginning of the year. And they have reached a higher level of rates since to, uh, 2009, so huge. But we should expect even faster tightening uh, in the coming months until uh, maybe growth will lose momentum. Uh, and uh, it's, but it's the only way just to stop inflation, like I was mentioning for, for Europe uh, and, and, and the US. So all in all, the UK is uh, in a very similar situation than Europe uh, because they are also uh, fa facing the fact that, okay, in Britain, you are importing much more energy than in the US. So it's not only raising rates that will stop inflation, it's that when the commodity prices will come down. So globally, I, we don't really think that for markets at least and for currency, it's uh, the, the departure of Boris Johnson that will have an impact. Markets are really focused on this recession stagflation concern rather than on politics, at least for the coming months, because that will be uh, the future of the UK and of, the, of Europe uh, for, for at least until the end of the year. Thank you, Axel. Axel, maybe a last question around um where to invest, where to look going forward. I know at Carminiac, you're really looking into sustainable investing, impact investing. Can you tell me, you know, when we talk about companies benefiting from long-term trends, I'm thinking, yeah, this is definitely an area to, to look into. So how do you uh, combine your, your, your finances and maybe, you know, your, your values and trying to make an impact with your investments? I think it's super important for me personally, first, uh, and also for Carminiac. Because investors have a huge role to play uh, in uh, making the world more sustainable. Because active investors can actually use their shareholder right in order to drive companies to improve their governance, their carbon footprint, and also their human capital management. So we talk a lot about sustainable investing in, in finance, and it's really the process of incorporating environmental, social, and governance factors into all of our investment decisions. So what we do is that, for instance, at Carmiac, in our, in our investment fund, we invest in companies that have strong environmental, strong social, and governance policy. Because over the long term, at the end, they tend to outperform the market. And not only on one year, but on several years, because from a risk management perspective, they have less risk because they are complying with nice rule in terms of E, of S, and of G. But concretely, how we can do so? In finance, you have several ways of okay, investing with what we call the purpose. First, you can exclude some sectors, some companies, uh, the ones that are 
against your value, against the company value. For instance, at Carmignac, we exclude, I don't know, controversial weapon manufacturers. We exclude tobacco producers. We exclude thermal coal miners. So that's one way of doing sustainable uh, investment. Another way is do it what we call integration. It's what I was mentioning, integrating when you look at the company, you look at the financial uh, um, uh, aspect of the company, but you also can look at, okay, where the company stands in terms of environment, in terms of social, in terms of corporate governance. Uh, and this, at the end, will improve your, your returns and, uh, as an investor and reduce your risk. And the last thing that you can do is invest with an impact. In order to, and for that, you can even measure, and that's what some uh, investment funds do, you can measure the environmental and social impact that you have with your financial return. And finally, as I was mentioning at the beginning, as we are shareholder of the company, we can engage. And that's uh, what we do, but what many uh, equity investors are doing. We can engage on the climate change. Uh, for instance, at Carmignac, we believe that every company must play its part in climate change uh, mitigation, not only renewable company, but all the company in all the sectors. So we are working with the company we invest in in order to help them to achieve emission transparency, at least, and more climate-friendly policies. What we can do also is working on the S with the company. And uh, for instance, we strongly believe that employees are a company most valuable asset. Therefore, we ask all the company we invest in to focus on efficiently managing their human capital in order to increase employee engagement and at some point, client satisfaction. So, Many ways of being more sustainable in the way you invest. Uh, and I, some, I think that's something that is becoming highly important for the industry. And that's something good because we really have the power as, a, as shareholders. Can I please ask you uh, to share with us what is the main takeaway for you? Um, you know, what is maybe one thing you've learned uh, today from, from Axel? Uh, in the in the chat box, that would be amazing. I see some some messages. That was fantastic. That was very informative. Um, I think for me, there's you know maybe three things. The first thing, you know, um, inflation being on the rise around the world with food energy prices uh, going up is really thinking about our own personal finances and trying to you know keep track with with what's happening. Um, the role of central banks um, in order to, to control inflation, so increasing interest rates, expanding the, their balance sheets to try to cool down the, the economy. And finally, the third point is around uh, the uncertainty and volatility in the stock market. And you all see that when you look at your investments. So keep learning, um, look at the big picture, and remember that investing is really going to be key to build long-term wealth. Um, so maybe look more long-term, try to forget a little bit about the, about the short-term, and, and think about purpose and investing in a, in a sustainable uh, manner. I see a lot of comments around ESG, um, Medium to long-term opportunities. Don't panic. I think don't panic is a great one. Think strategically. China is going against global trends. So a lot of information. We'll, we'll write our main three takeaways for you. We'll send you the recording. 
Um, Axel, thank you so much for you know thank such you, a Amy. brilliant session. <laughs> it was really it was fun. Great. <laughs> it was great, and you know you're welcome at Vestpod anytime. I'm sure people will have lots of questions uh, for you, but hopefully we'll see you in a few months' time, and we'll see you know what's going to be the economic situation and and and, and the stock market uh, by then. Thank you, Axel. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, everyone. I'm excited to announce our very first Vespot Festival taking place on October 9th, Money Matters. It's a full day of inspiring money talks, workshops, great food and music at the Ned in London. Get your tickets at vespot.com or through the link in the description. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wallet. This is the recording of our very first market update and you can already register to the next live webinar on September 20th. It's free in the show notes. I also highly recommend you to listen to the episode we recorded with Maxim Karminiak a few weeks ago. Please share this show with your friends and subscribe on your favorite platform. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps more people find our show. Don't forget to book your ticket to our Vespot Festival, Money Matters. It's not a bribe, but there will be breakfast, lunch, and some great music. Head to vespot.com now. Join us again next Thursday for another episode of The Wallet. I'm speaking with Marianne Ken, aka The Humble Penny. We're talking about the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early.